Brief History of Mesopotamia, Part 5, Sargon of Akkad. By this point in Mesopotamia history, there had been temple rulers, Lugalin, and monarchs ruling from, from strength and fear, and even a monarch who sought the approval and love of his people. The trouble with all of these systems of leadership is they could only succeed over a limited scope. Both love and fear go a long way, but perhaps not so far as to bind together a vast empire. As such, the regional rule of the most previous kings had been limited to a selection of cities over a small area. Following the fall of Kish to Lugal Zagazi, however, a new leader rose to prominence and with him came a new form of leadership one based on hero worship rather than love or fear. This man was Sargon, and he founded the first empire in Mesopotamia, some say in human history. When one thinks of an empire, several things come to mind. Firstly, we think of emperors, usually monarchical rulers who appear in higher stead than a simple king or queen. Secondly, we think of vast swaths of land under the rule of a single governing body. The one thread that runs through all historical empires is that it contains not merely one culture or people, but many different groups, all brought together under a single administration. The Roman Empire ruled over many different cultures across Europe, Africa, and Asia. The Mongol Empire ruled an even greater number, stretching far east to Asia Minor and ruling over China, Persia, and the steppe cultures. The British Empire ruled over even more cultures and people, stretching around the world. To be the ruler of an empire is to rule over people who are not your own, alongside those who are. Sargon was believed to be the cupbearer to Ur-Zababa, who ruled over Kish before the conquest of Lugal-Zagazi. Due to his quick rise following the deposition of his king, Chances are that Sargon had long nurtured a desire for power. The role of cupbearer was one of great importance. He would have provided and would have provided Sargon with the connections and funds needed to entice a considerable number of, royal, of loyal followers. Whether he seized power and marched south under the guise of revenge, or if he simply was opportunistic, it's difficult to say. Regardless of his apparent motivations, however, Sargon knew what he was doing and before long had captured Uruk and Lugal-Sagazi. It was the conquest of Uruk that brought Sargon into power. However, despite vanquishing his opponent, he also had to contend with many Sumerian cities attempting to establish their freedom following the original conqueror's death. Freed from the yoke of Lugal-Zagazi, they hoped to maintain independence and saw the opportunity to do so. Sargon proved an efficient conqueror, however, and before long he had Sumer in the palm of his hand. In fact, not satisfied with ruling only Sumer, Sargon set about conquering neighbor territory, neighboring territories, bringing the southern Sumerians and the northern Semites together under a single administration. He set out to build a vast empire, spreading far beyond the two rivers. It is said he was victorious in 34 battles, even seizing the land of the Elamites on the far bank of the Tigris, the city of Mari in the north, and even pushing into the lands of the Amorites, whose connection to Mesopotamia would become significant hundreds of years later, as with the small city of Asher, 
conquered on the northern banks of, Ty of the Tigris. It is even suggested that Sargon of Akkad may have ventured into Asia Minor, although any success in the region would have been limited. Sargon himself was in fact a Semite as opposed to the Sumerians, as, but as emperor over both peoples, he walked a lonely path between cultures. It was perhaps as a Semite living among his Sumerians that Sargon had developed the mindset required to rule over many, the ability to understand people of various backgrounds and cultures. Whatever the case may be, Sargon knew that to establish himself as a new kind of leader, he had to separate himself both from both Ur-Zababa and Lugal-Zagazi, and to appear not merely to the subculture of Kish, but the people the world over. He was required to create a new power center, Akkad, the Semitic name for the city. It was called Agade in Sumerian. Founded by Sargon upon the establishment of his new empire, was to become the center of Mesopotamian world. It was from Akkad not only that the name of the empire was derived, the Akkadian Empire, but also the language spoken by many of its people, a language that was still spoken by inhabitants of the area years later under Syrian and Babylonian empires. For widespread appeal, Sargon was required to rethink kingship. The people of a nation or a city are typically bound to their ruler by a shared culture, language, or priority. To rule over many, a ruler had to establish themselves as universally acceptable, transcending typical ideas of belonging and culture, and could be a very lonely undertaking, requiring a lot of psychological fortitude, to no longer see yourself as part of a pre-established group. To make others see you that way as well it requires a new kind of legitimacy, one that appeals to all. The foundation of Akkad was the beginning of this separation, but it was to continue. Sargon had to cultivate an image of himself as a heroic figure, worthy of adulation and worship. While remaining a man, Sargon had to step into the role of a god, founding a city himself as opposed to inheriting it from a deity. Even his name was fabricated, meaning true king, this true name, his true name remains unknown. He created a backstory that accentuated his humble origins and avoided any particular political affiliations. In a story reminiscent of that of Moses yet occurring earlier, Sargon is said to have been conceived in secret by a priestess and then set upon a river in a basket of rushes, bore downstream until discovered by Aki, who raised him. Regarded by later generations as semi-divine, Sargon's name was even called upon by latter rulers to provide a sense of legitimacy to their rule. In fact, Sargon still offers a sense of legitimacy to this very day. In 1990, during the International Babylon, Babylon Festival, Iraqi President Saddam Hussein celebrated his 53rd birthday in his home village with lavish festivities owing more than a little to the origin story of the great Akkadian emperor. A wooden cabin was wheeled into the street before which numerous people, dressed in ancient Mesopotamian costumes, prostrated themselves as the door opened and revealed a baby in a basket floating down a stream. The baby was representative of Hussein, 
but it called to the legitimacy offered by a connection to Sargon of Akkad. The longevity of Sargon's importance serves to demonstrate just how significant he was in the history not only of Mesopotamia, but of the world as a whole, providing a model for future nations and empires thousands of years later. Now, I would point out that the Akkadian writing is one of the basic writing scripts that was used throughout, not just Mesopotamia, but other parts of the world. And it's Akkadian that became the international language, and it survived into the Persian Empire, where you have documents carved on walls in Akkadian, Persian, and cuneiform. And it allows us to translate cuneiform. So Akkadia and the Akkadians are extremely important to history, but frequently are kind of left out. Now the sources for this, Ancient Semitic Civilizations by Muscati, Ancient Near East by Cyrus Gordon, Mesopotamia, Assyrians, Babylonian, Sumerians, Dictionary of Civilization, Oxford History of the Biblical World by Coogan, and the Mesopotamian Mythology. So I hope you enjoyed that, and as always, don't forget to come by the website, sumahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.